Welcome back to the CMU Now podcast. My name is John Marshall. I have the honor of being president here at CMU and uh, a guest host. Today, we got a really special guest, uh, somebody from Texas Christian University, is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr. Dr. G, as your students call you, I understand. Yes, sir. Dr. Gooding, thank you for taking time to come to Colorado Mesa University's campus. Um, maybe we can just start by introducing you a little bit and sharing with our audience a little of your story and uh, your scholarship and your professional track. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. The view is absolutely amazing. I used to teach at Northern Arizona University, and so I absolutely am reminded over how much I miss the mountains being out here. It is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we're lucky. I think what's also beautiful is this opportunity to talk about something that is so very dear to me, which is hip-hop. And how I got here, I think, was a circuitous path. Hip-hop has always been a part of my life. I've, I've been listening to it when it first came out um, in the 80s listening to Eric B. and Rakim, paid in full. I just thought it was something so new and so fresh. But I never thought it was something I could pursue from an academic standpoint, because there was never a space for it. At the time when it first came out, it was very much maligned. Mm -hmm. And there was mm -hmm. no um, serious study about it. There weren't really a lot of books. I mean, maybe the Source magazine was a place where you could go. So it was just always just in the back of my head as far as something that I appreciated, I admired, I respected. But... I had to, quote unquote, move on with my real life. Mm. And so as far as real life is concerned, I am um, a proud graduate of Morehouse College in Atlanta, okay. Georgia. Um, don't know if the listeners know, but it's a historically black college and university mm -hmm. located in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. So um, one of our more famous alumni you may have heard of is a Baptist minister from Georgia who had a dream or something of that nature. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. So we, we share that legacy. Emeritus we're very proud. Pastor of Ebenezer Baptist, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Absolutely. So so, so, what was fascinating about that experience, though, was I, uh, as maybe obvious it may sound now, I learned that there was diversity hmm. within my own culture. Sure. I mean, because when you watch TV or what have you, there's really only you know, certain types that you see. And, and yeah. then that's another topic for another day in terms yeah. of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. But I was just amazed over how... There's just so many different styles, types, shapes, sizes, but they're all black males just like me, right? Mm. And so that actually helped me open up and decide, instead of me trying to be like somebody else, why don't I just concentrate on being me? Mm. And I think that's very much consistent with some of the tenets we talked about with hip hop. Mm. And so with me deciding to look within and pursue what was inside of me, um, tried the corporate sector, didn't work, I didn't really... Uh, I wasn't feeling it, as one, they say. One you. I wasn't feeling it, as they say. And so um, I liked the idea of obviously making money. We're in a capitalistic society. But the things I had to do in order to do it, I, I felt cost me too much, mm -hmm. right? You know, for the money I was making, it cost yeah. me. Um, I just wasn't spending as much time with my family. Family is very important to me. Yeah. And so um, I just, you know, I had to do some soul searching. And so long story short, I ended up in grad school right? Safe Refuge. And I ended up completing my PhD at Georgetown University. And um, I'm a historian. I'm a historian. Okay. So, uh, and they're pretty serious about their history. My first book is about black federal workers. I mean, it's good bedtime reading. It will knock you out in <laughs> 10 minutes cold. <laughs> right. But here's the deal. In trying to teach history at the university level, mm -hmm. I realized I had a dilemma. Yes, it's important. It's important to me. Um, remember, African-American history is not just African-American history, it's actually American history. It's mm -hmm. very difficult to tell the story of American history without invoking these stories, right? But at the same time, how do I properly engage with my students? I mean, when you start reciting facts and dates, the eyes glaze over, they start stifling yawns. And, and so you know, I'm in this dilemma. I mean, I want to connect with the students, but still deliver them information. So I had to go back to the drawing board, mm. go back to the lab. And I have an epiphany. Why don't I meet students where they're at? Where they're at is in the world of hip hop. Yes. They listen to hip hop, do That's they not? Right. I mean, right. it's everywhere at the campus from Friday night to Tuesday mornings and abs classes to when the volleyball team comes out. I mean, yep. it's just it's everywhere, right? And so I figured, well, why not start with hip hop as a connecting point, as a bridge point, yep. so that we can have this larger conversation. And so for me, what I discovered was by meeting them with hip hop in order to contextualize 
we have to go back in time. You gotta understand history. Uh oh. Yep. And that's where the history doesn't, comes doesn't make in. Sense. Ha, Trojan right. Horse, reverse. Right. <laughs> but don't tell my students that. That's right. If they're listening. <laughs> so you you worked your way in around a passion that also uh, has become your profession, which is teaching history at a collegiate level through hip hop and other means, right? That's correct. So such an interesting modern history trajectory because of course, you know, you go back to Grandmaster Flash, you go back to Furious Five, you go back to, you know, all these, you know, Big Daddy Kane and others. I mean, these guys were, at the time, it was something of a subculture, right? I mean, it wasn't even like fully the culture. It was like a subculture within a culture. And then you look today and you, you go to a Broncos game, you go to, um, you know, big events that are cut across the population. And it's not just in America, it's in Europe, it's in South America, it's in Asia, it's worldwide. This is probably a question for another day, but it just strikes me. Is there another cultural phenomenon that has grown at that speed and with that kind of pervasiveness throughout the world? It's, I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe jazz music, Hmm. you know, similar, right? I mean, when jazz first came out, it was heavily criticized. Sure. There were a lot of people who were concerned over it it being devil's music and and it might promote promiscuous behavior amongst the people who are listening to it. Smokers and and reefer madness. And 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 God forbid. Interracial mixing, right? Yeah. Blacks and whites in the same place, yeah. and enjoying music. Oh my God, right? Yeah. I mean, because that was back in the Jim Crow twenties, right? That's right. But what's similar is uh, mostly fostered from African Americans uh, who were looking for ways to express themselves. Because yes. jazz is about creativity. We talk yeah. about the improvs and the riffs. This idea that we'll, we'll take, like, say for example, John Coltrane, one of my favorites. Yeah, he's famous for recording a fourteen-minute version of a few of my favorite things. And so you start off with the original. Of course, he recognized it. And then he goes off somewhere into space between Pluto and Mars, right? It's, it's amazing. And then he comes back. And this idea of I'm going to open myself up and allow myself to go with the flow, so mm. to speak. And flow, by the way, is a term that has been um, documented. Um, I don't want to butcher my Polish brother's name, but uh, his name is Mihail Szymanski. He's, he's done research about this idea of and Jordan talks about this when the basket gets bigger, yeah, yeah. when you're just in that zone and yep. everything, time slows down. Time slows down and, and so this is what many jazz musicians would refer to when they would do these solos. And as you know, jazz, which was African-American, now became this American genre, which has influenced the world. I mean, you mm-hmm. go to Paris and some of the best jazz clubs are over there now, you right? Bet. In terms of jazz being internationally accepted. And so... That would probably be the only thing I can think of, but I would dare say hip hop has had even a larger influence mm-hmm. and has exploded at an even larger and faster rate. Um, and But what's very similar is uh, it does pattern jazz in that African-American based. And also when you talk about this idea of freestyling, mm. very similar as far as people getting into that flow of consciousness. And, and the idea that art and music in particular, but art more broadly, right? Music, theater, and plays, and um, paintings. And I mean, art has always kind of been that space for us to try and interpret what's happening around us in the culture, but also to critique the culture, right? So there's a space in some regards that there's kind of a a well-worn path in some respects, right? Bluegrass has some of that roots to it. And, you know, I think about, um, you know, I mentioned somebody like Johnny Cash using you know, his microphone to critique, say, the war in Iraq or uh, Native American issues or... Um, or Bob Dylan in Vietnam. And, and a- so, absolutely. you know, and, and I think what's so very special about art is this dates back to medieval times, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, what oh, the, the ancients, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just what, what, I mean, think about what the court, the court, the king's right hand man or the king's hand what they could not say is what the court jester would say. That's right. But was covered under auspices of I'm simply performing. That's right. This is just merely art. Right. And so I think that with art, one of the reasons why it resonates with so many people is because if it's a judge to be authentic, people will reward the artist if it's judged to be authentic. And so when you talk about hip hop, I mean, it is something that you can't really duplicate or fabricate. It's 
it's either you had the experience or you didn't. And it either comes from you or it doesn't, right? And, and, it, so, and it either resonates and it, with an audience in or, a real or, or way or it doesn't. Or it doesn't. That's and, right. and so that's, I think, one of the, the cardinal tenets is to not be like him or her, but to keep it what? Yeah, real. real. Right, to keep it real with yourself. And and hip hop has a different dimension to it. I mean, I think about some of the examples we're banding about around art, but hip hop does have a different level because there's both lyrically, right? You can see different things happening. I mean, I think of somebody even like Eminem who uses words as percussion, mm. right? Uses their voice and, and lyrics as percussion, which is the something a little bit different, mm -hmm. right? And the syllables. Mm -hmm. But then there's also what's being said, right? So it's like, it's how it's being said and it's what's being said. And then there's the entire, you know, and then musically the, the beat that actually you see move people literally, um, to that. So I wonder if we might be able to work through a track or two and, and maybe draw on your expertise and you can maybe explore this concept of um, from the roots of, say, criticism that on its face, maybe to uh, an undiscerning ear, you might say, well, this is just this is just uh, and you highlighted it last night. This is ugly. It's saying, you know, things we don't like. Right. And maybe we can peel this back a little bit. So I've taken the liberty of, of having a song or two ready. Okay. And then I hope you'll uh, walk us through this a little bit. So the first one I've used in some of my classes, uh, I actually used to teach the Fourth Amendment in Search and Seizure, which is Jay-Z's 99 Problems. And so I wonder if production, if you maybe will cue this up for us. And we'll start to peel this onion. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I, I got, got 99 problems, problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap patrol on the patrol. Foes that want to make sure my cask is closed. Rap critics saves money, cash. I'm from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? Starts off right out of the gate. Where am I coming the minute from? You was having dope. I'm like, critics, you can kiss my whole if you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. Got beef with radio, if I don't play they show, they don't play my hits. Well, I don't give a shit. corporate Rap max, try and use my black and so advertisers could give them more cash for ads. I don't know what you take me as, or understand the intelligence that Jay-Z has. I'm from rags, the richest I ain't dumb. I got 99 problems, but a chain one. Hit me. So can we pause that for a quick sec? So walk us through that intro. There's a lot there. Absolutely. The, actually, I would like to start with the, the ending, which is he references his intelligence. Hmm. And I, I, I don't think that's insignificant. When you talk about hip hop being maligned when it first came out, hmm. I think what he's reminding us is there are outstanding narratives that presume oftentimes that people like him, black males, simply don't have the intellectual wherewithal to... Uh, compete at this level. Mm -hmm. I mean, as we talked about last night, there's uh, not that many, it's not as if our campus, our campus and your campus are teeming with black male PhDs. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons for that, right? Um, yes, individual choice, but systemically, are there barriers that we still have to navigate uh, as a society, right? And so the idea that he's reminding us that even though I'm not necessarily within a university environment, but I'm still a human being who has the ability to think and navigate. I think that's so very important. He's establishing this idea of his humanity and his existence. I mean, mm -hmm. if we're listening and going back to this idea of when it first came out, how do people re respond? I, I think, yes, some of the messages can appear to be caustic to the ear, right, upon first listening. But at the same time, what we want to remind ourselves is when the letters did not work, when the phone calls did not work, when the emails did not work, there's frustration that builds. So what else am I supposed to do, hmm. right? And so, you know, connecting this to say the NWA, a lot of people had issues with the F the police. Yeah. And yes, it is caustic, but guess what? It got people's attention because yeah. the letters didn't work. I showed up at the town halls, you ignored me. And so what else can I say? Um, and so then, well, why are you saying F the police? Well, here's why, and I can tell you. So the question is, are we going to talk about your um, your verbiage and your vernacular and the fact that, you know, you, you know, it was, you know, you used an expletive, or are we going to talk about the reason that precipitated why you used that language in the first place? And so um, I, I, those are the larger issues. And I think with this intro, 
what Jay Z is doing is um, it's really setting the the the, the scene for the the, the second um, you know verse that that really goes into the search and seizure piece more, but but he's really setting the stage about hey um, I'm successful I'm somebody to be reckoned with and I exist. The the other piece that strikes me on the front end that I always from the time I first heard it, you know. Jay-Z struck early on, he saw as a business model that he was not going to go try and do a, I mean, he, I suspect he couldn't have foreseen the, the growth of streaming music and sort of moving away from commercial radio and things like that. But as it turns out, his business model, he saw early on and he references right out of the gate, I'm coming at you, corporate advertisers, and I'm, um, and I'm not going to be played like that. And and it's such a striking sort of jarring thing in some ways for this um, powerful, you know, obviously become a media magnate and businessman. But at that time, I mean, he was popular, but that was a bold statement to say, I don't need your commercial success because I'm actually going to be bigger than that somehow. And I think that's one of the hidden secrets about hip hop we don't talk about. This idea that within a capitalistic economy, he did not have to go to corporate America in order to be financially successful. We know that that is a successful model for many, but not all. Mm -hmm. And through hip hop, he was able to establish, shall we say, independence. Mm -hmm. And with that independence, he's able to do what? Leverage his voice to speak freely how he wants to speak. Mm -hmm. Many of us who have jobs and work with institutions, we would like to say certain things to our bosses, but I mean, it's just maybe not prudent or it's not the best strategy if mm -hmm. we want to continue to be gainfully employed, right? Yep. But he's in a position where he says, you know what? I'm actually not beholden to anyone. I'm my old free man. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful. Let's, let's go into this next verse because it continues to get better. Yes. <laughs> 99 pounds for the bitch ain't one. If you have a girl problems, I forgot for you, son. I got 99 pounds for the bitch ain't one. Hit me. Yeah, it's 94 and my trunk is raw. And my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law. Got two choices, y'all. Pull over the car or bounce on the devil. Put the pedal to the floor. And I ain't trying to see no highway chase with Jake. Plus, I got a few dollars. I can fight the case. So I... Pull over to the side of the road, I heard Son, do you know why I'm stopping you for? Cause I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know Am I under arrest or should I get some up? Well, you was doing 55 in the 54 uh -huh. Lost the registration and step out of the car You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are I ain't stepping out of the all my papers legit Well, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back And I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that <laughs> Aren't you sharp to attack? You some type of law or something, somebody important or something I ain't passed the ball, but I know a little bit Enough that you wanna legally search my sh** Well, see how smart you are when the K-9 comes I got 99 problems, but a b ain't one Hit me! I mean, I would argue it's one of the greatest stretches of <laughs> I mean, and that, there's, that a lot. Is, there's a lot in there. There's so much there's, in there's there, a lot. right? There's a lot. I mean, so just off the top, ooh, this idea that the ability for him to play with power, the idea that he's personating the cop, I mean, I don't, I don't want to overlook that part as, as well. So this tells us that he's in control of the scene. He's, he's painting it for us. He's impersonating the, the cop and, and laying out this idea that he's on the highway, most likely I-95 and the East Coast. That, that's how you get in between, say, New York and Philadelphia, which is home of the world champion Eagles, by the way. <laughs> um, and so the idea that um, he says uh, he, he, he has awareness. I know I have two choices. I can flee or I can pull over. But he calculates, well, I have money, so I'll pull over. I can fight the case if they try to trump up charges on me. So I mean, just that, that awareness from the very beginning. And I think that's what maybe scares some people, that he has this confidence mm -hmm. and that he knows his rights. And so when the officer is asking him, well, you know, can I, you know, well, well even going back to, do you know why I stopped you? This idea of, well, I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. You tell me. Because um, you have to have probable cause. And it's uh, up to the officer to actually articulate that. And so by asking, do you know why I stopped you? There's a possibility the officer might catch somebody self-incriminating themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is it because of, the, the, you know, my, 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 you know my, my light is not broken? So in other words, you know, by saying, I don't know, I'm not a mind reader, that's also very clever because you're not giving the officer any, quote unquote, additional ammunition. I mean, there might be a legitimate reason, 
But as we know, we've seen statistical studies, particularly in Jersey, uh, if he was on the Jersey Turnpike, where um, it just so happened that um, most of the um, there was a lawsuit filed uh, in, in the 90s, actually. Uh, I think Johnny Cochran was on it, where um, the, most of the, you know, the people who were pulled over by Jersey Troopers were African-American. It just so happened. It was coincidental, perhaps. Right. But I, I think the, the piece for me that, that really sticks out is, um, well, do you mind if I search your car? Yeah, of course I do. Uh, well, you, you, and, you know, you're sharp as a tack, right? So this idea of um, the, the officer maybe um, somebody important or something, a right, lawyer right. Like, or something. So, so and, and also uh, you know, the officer makes a reference to that's how you all are, and so uh, maybe what he's hinting at is maybe some institutional attitudes uh, that might uh, unfortunately lead to uh, you know negative scenarios that you know are unnecessary, and so to presume that somebody's guilty, I mean that, that's obviously a, a violation, but this idea that if I say no then write me a ticket for either speeding or, I mean, by the way, I'm pulling over for 55 and 54 lane, also hinting at this idea that I'm under constant scrutiny and any little tic-tac mistake I make, I'm going to be uh, hemmed up. That's right. In contrast to uh, if any of us have survived spring break, you know, we've seen many a frat bro cross the line and, you know, he doesn't, you know, end up getting sent home in a pine box, right? And so this idea that I just went one mile over and you're going to pull me over, right? Okay, fine. You know, technically I broke the law, but... More importantly, if I did break the law, write me the ticket and I'm free to go. Otherwise, if you detain me longer, then you no longer have probable cause. If you haven't articulated that uh, you believe there's a crime or you've seen anything to substantiate that there's a crime taking place, you need to let me go. So the, the twist for me, and I, and I don't maybe you've talked about this in class, is when he says, look, I'm not letting you search, you know, sugar honey iced tea. Um, you know, I, you know, but I've not had problems in, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, B-I-T-C-H is not one. I don't think he's referring to an actual female or yeah. the female gender in no, terms I of being misogynistic. I think he's referring to a female dog literally as a bitch. Right. And so this idea that uh, you want to bring this dog in to search my car. No, I, that, that's not my problem because, uh, um, you know, you have not followed your protocol, you have not followed your laws, and so therefore, I'm free to go. The the, the one-upsmanship is the part that strikes me. It's like a, it, he's narrating this, this, um, this antagonism that exists, right, where he starts with, my trunk is raw, right? So he starts with a hint that maybe things aren't on the up and up, right? Okay. And, and as it starts to progress, right, the cop you know, what I hear is a cop kind of doing his normal thing. And then he's like, oh, I got somebody to contend with because right. this young man is not playing my game. And so right. he kind of clicks it up a notch. Right. And so the, by saying, right, I'm not a mind reader because my hat's too low. What's the problem? Right. Right. But, um, because, but and he starts about, clicking that that notch up a little. But what it also makes me think about is how many people who don't know their rights Absolutely. Will fall into absolutely right a rabbit hole, right? And, and, and this, trap after it, trap after there, there trap. There you go. There right? you go. And and here and yet Jay Z sort of like he avoids the one, then he avoids the next, right? And then and of course in search and seizure, there's plain view, and you're allowed to look at that, right? But you need a warrant if you're going to go in a glove box, right. or a trunk, right? And Jay Z sort of lays out these sort of fine distinctions of the Fourth Amendment, right? And as it sort of continues to to grow throughout the encounter, right? The other piece that struck me as both, um, it's like Jay-Z sort of is outwitting him, and yet, how does it finish? We'll see how smart you are when the canine comes, which is, of course, a, a controversial Fourth Amendment practice, right. which was, I don't need a warrant if a drug, a, a drug dog comes and hits, right? Now, all of a sudden, which is a really, you know, and the courts have, have fought over whether or not that is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, of course. Right. And so he sort of brings it back around to the listener to say, you see how you see how difficult it is. Like I did everything right. I'm doing 55 and a 54. I know my rights. I've right. He sort of tricks. And yet, how does this thing end? It's like the cops still got a beat on him. It feels um, like the system is rigged almost. Absolutely. Right? Although, um, you know, maybe, you know, we need a bonus verse. There's a high chance the um, 
the evidence would not stick up in court, sure, although it still would be grossly inconvenient to have the car impounded and, and whatnot. So the, uh, the officer does have that authority to do that. Yeah. Right. But um, if again, the uh, if the uh, traffic violation was already handled and um, dispensed with, if he had to wait, say, 45 minutes to an hour for the canine to arrive, the courts most likely would throw that out because that would be unreasonable. And, and, and pointing out the fact that that practice for years was sort of common practice and had you not known right. where those boundaries are, right? And it's part of our, literally articulating the fine distinctions of that path in the verse of one song, right. um, to me is one of the most remarkable sort of stretches of hip hop because it's, um, in addition to being a, a audibly um, really good beat, it's yes. he's, he's taken the listener through this this really complex and important and, and controversial sort of moment in seconds, right? And, and so that's the beauty of it. So we, what you said, controversial, complex, but yet so exceedingly cogent. Hmm. And so that's where I think so many people were able to resonate with this track because yes. how else can you be so clear and so quick if it's not quote unquote real, right? And so oftentimes you hear the expression, me thinks thou protesteth too much. And so usually when you're pretty clear about something, you're pretty succinct, mm. right? But, and, and, and so, I mean, oftentimes when you have all this explanation or they call it mansplaining, at least I've been accused of it, right? It, it's because, well, maybe I'm not really clear on what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so this idea that just in a simple bar, he's able to outlay the, the boundaries of Fourth Amendment search and seizure. I mean, this is absolutely brilliant. This is extraordinary. And, and, being, and being in a historically... Um, targeted position and to be able to articulate that so clearly to the, a broader population of if if you've never been in that position to immediately be able to like, oh, or that has how maybe that could be experienced. And, and in addition to that, many people have been in that position, mm -hmm. but many people may not have taken the time to articulate or figure out how to express that feeling in that angst, sure. right? And so it felt that, wrong, but I can't maybe articulate there, every reason why. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And so, and that, and that's where um, people, I think, are able to uh, draw strength or you know resonate with a song like this from Jay Z because he is literally embracing his voice, raising the voice of so many others. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so that's 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 the power behind, oh, this was inside of me. I didn't realize it. But but just in hearing that note, that that's what was happening. And I, I didn't realize I didn't have that language at that time. But that's what I was going through as well. Yeah. And this you drew on this early, but this idea that there's some um, what I think you use the term caustic in terms of how some of this lands. The the question you kind of have to ask yourself, though, is how else do you express outrage? How else do you express um, sort of these moral outrages that that you feel? It's like, well, of course it's going to sound angry. That's the natural response to injustice, right? Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because anger is a natural human emotion. Mm -hmm. And not all hip hop is fueled by anger. I mean, it's fueled by human no, beings yeah. with, with passion. And, 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 you know, usually you're angry over something because you've been hurt. Right. And so it's because many people believe in the system, believe in the possibility and potential of America and what it can be. People are hurt over when, when, when it doesn't happen. That's I mean, right. when uh, Atiana Jefferson is killed playing video games with her nephew and it's the wrong house, you know, we're hurt by that. You know, when Tyree Nichols, I mean, you know, only 100 yards away from his home, you know, is, is, is pummeled you know, to death. I mean, you, you know, there's there's hurt behind that. And so behind the hurt comes the anger. But I think more importantly, um, what Jay-Z did is he did something with that. He didn't just sit on it. Yeah. He made it a song. He was able to yeah. articulate it. And by doing so, now other people are able to realize that they're not alone, mm. right? And, and I think um, knowing that uh, someone, you know, was able to have a similar experience and articulate it, the listener now has this cathartic experience. Yeah. So it's more than just a song. When people are listening to it, I would submit, it's almost therapeutic sure. for many. I mean, you're listening sure. to your headphones, you're concentrating, you're meditating on what's being said. I mean, think about the ability. I mean, obviously you've heard it many times <laughs> and, and you've thought about it so much so where at the university setting, right, where we're talking about raising our new generation with new ideas, you're challenging them to think about our constitution through a rap verse. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and, 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 and and no offense, but if I just saw you from across the street, I'm like, look at this nice, tall, slender white male with cool boots, right? And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I would not guess that you're using hip hop lyrics in your class. Well, I appreciate your uh, compliment on my cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the idea of injustice um, going unchecked, I think, is the most troubling thing for all of us as humans to say it's not it's one thing for injustice to occur we're human and and we we live in a a world where injustice is everywhere but what's worse than injustice is this idea that it's going to happen again and again and again unchecked and so one of the things i love about that verse is how he he both plays with it and kind of uh what would you say, triumphs over it in a way, and then also shines a light on it in a way to say, yeah, I mean, right, what's he start? You know, the year was 94, and so he's right. telling you a story about what happened to him, right? right? And he may have taken some artistic liberties, but it's like he's telling a story to maybe, maybe um, highlight this injustice, and the question is, if he is able to help another human being that finds himself in this uh, situation and speak into that situation. It's like, okay, well, in addition to that catharsis, in addition to that, um, what did you say? Therapy, therapeutic element to it. There's also this sort of, um, educational component to it, right? He's adding, he's telling somebody who's 14 and doesn't have their driver's license yet. Look out. Absolutely. Eyes up. Absolutely. Right? And stand your ground. And, stand, and there's a way to do this, right? He starts off by Instead of what glorifying being a dummy, he says, you know, he tells you at the outset, as you said, you right, know, he had two choices. I'm a, I'm a bright person. Right. Don't underestimate me. And right. then he and then he proceeds to sort of prove that out as he as he tells this story in a way that is brilliant. Right. Really. Right. Right. And I mean, well, he said it best. He's not a businessman, but he's a business man. <laughs> <laughs> Do we, do we have time to hit uh, hit Ice Cube here? Sure. Let's see if um, let's see if you can pull this up for us, Colin. Homage to the Eilid Brothers. Absolutely. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, right? You can, you know, at a barbecue, you can kind of feel the, just the blood pressure kind of reducing a little bit, right? But there's pain in it because mm. every single one of these things he's brought up is juxtaposed against what? The reality. Every other day. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think this is a masterful, masterful display of irony, mm. right? Because it was a good day. And by all accounts, we agree. I mean, everything's lining up. But what makes it a good day, right? I mean, it prompts us to think, well, what else is going on normally where this is maybe abnormal? The yeah, fact that, right. you know, the, you know, this is the right. The good day the is abnormal. That's right. right. This aberration. Right. And, you know, and, and I think for those of us who are listening carefully, I mean, just even this idea of him saying mom's cooked the breakfast with uh, no um, 
hog, right? No smog. Him making reference to his beliefs and his identity, because mm. for those who are perhaps of the Muslim faith, they believe that the you know the pig is a, a, a unclean animal, and so the idea that he was waking up and was able to you know put inside his body what he felt was clean and what would help him get started. Yeah. I mean, you know, didn't overeat, right? right. Did, didn't overeat. So Had enough, but not too much, right? But you know, but also throwing in perhaps a, a, a religious reference. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought, thought that was interesting, and also and the environmental makes, experience, right? Well, when you say environment, and notice how immediately, even in the first stanza, he goes a little deeper. He makes reference to police authority. No mm. jackers in sight. Yeah. Right. So that's what makes it a good day. Yeah. Because just upon, I mean, going back to the Jay Z uh, clip with Ninety Nine Problems. There's this tension that, that 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 exists, right? Where many black males oftentimes feel hunted in their own neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? And again, not not all uh, black people are, are are free of criminal activity. Fine, but to what degree do we have a systemic issue when roughly half our uh, incarcerated population is African American? We we don't make up half the nation's population. Mm-hmm. So you know, what's happening here to account for these? numbers. And I, and I think both Jay-Z and, and Ice Cube are reminding us in different ways. Yeah. And in a different environment, right? So this this song, right, Cube is in um, West, Coast. West Coast, right? So, uh, and I can't remember if this in particular is referencing South Central, but I think that was generally the location, right, that right. he's operating out of. Um, and so it it's like different city, same story in some respects, right, in terms of what the experience is. You know, and speaking of experience, I, I think maybe he doesn't receive enough credit for the beat selection. Hmm. We listen to these songs, we enjoy them, but there's a lot of careful thought and planning that goes into this. I mean, just like you have a, a baker. I mean, I, I told my mom all the time, you know, she didn't have a college degree uh, for the longest time. She got it uh, towards the end. But um, I, I told her that you're not just a baker because she, she would make everything from scratch, right? Yeah, from, yeah. You know, pizza dough to pancakes. I mean, it was a pleasure living in that home. I'm, try, I'm trying to tell you, right? Uh, man, I'm trying to tell you. But listen, I would tell her, Mom, you're not a baker. You're a chemist. I mean, think about it. You're, right. you're combining material ingredients. Bad math, and, bad bread. And, and, and so, right, I mean, you're talking about a chemical change. Like, I, I can't yeah. undo, right, you know, the, the the process, you know, when you combine these ingredients together. And so I, I think, you know, and it's very precise because otherwise I ask her, well, just a half a teaspoon of salt. She's like, well, it has its worth and, and it does factor in. So I say that to say that the beat selection is precise. I mean, there's chemistry going on here. And the fact that it's laid back, we're relaxed. You had mentioned the blood pressure goes down. It it gives us the allure that everything's okay. And I think it makes the message, the irony, that much more profound, right? This idea that we're now lulled into, but wait a minute, what what is actually wrong with this picture? We, We have to ask ourselves. His resting pulse in, to sort of use a metaphor, right, is ready. The fact that he's able to have a good day and play basketball and have a good breakfast and, you know, go hit the car with the top down and, you know, uh, maybe, maybe call a girl and right. right. There's all these sort of luxuries, if you will. Right. And of course the, the line that's, uh, that's so memorable of this is I didn't even have to use my AK. Yes. It's like, if you really dig into that a little bit, this idea that, because I do have to use my AK sometimes, who has to use an AK in the course That's of That's an excellent day? question. And you think about that and it's like, we don't, we don't maybe reflect on that deeply enough but if you really think about that, that's well, I did use mine jarring. twice last week, though. What's that? I did use mine twice last week. Yeah, no, I mean, that's right. Well, you're <laughs> in Texas, though. That's different. That's just a trip to the grocery uh, store. Fair. I mean, oh, you got a, me there. Touche. It's jarring. No, it is it's jarring. jarring. It is. in some ways if you really allow yourself to rest in that idea. And I think that's precisely the genius behind this because yeah. here we are many decades later after the song was made in Colorado we're not in the West Coast, talking about the significance of, well, why would you need an AK? I mean, so he's prompting us to think critically Hmm. about his environment that we may not otherwise appreciate if we're not living in that environment, right? And so before, uh, and again, it's not to say none of hip hop can be criticized. I mean, it's human made, so it's not perfect. But I I think before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, I I think there's a larger message if we're willing and patient to listen and look. And I think when you talk about 
this idea of I didn't have to use my AK. Well, where, where does the AK come from? You know, what 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 type of environment is he in whereby an AK is necessary for survival? Um, I, I think those are the more pressing questions, particularly when you talk about you know, him uh, otherwise wanting to feel free. I think the top-down line for me was very significant because that suggests, as, as closely you can simulate, him maybe flying through the air, like just feeling that wind, you know, him just navigating the city you know, on his own volition. There's that sense of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel trapped mm-hmm. that I otherwise might feel. Mm-hmm. A moment where I don't have to think about what the reality is day to day. He d- And he also starts with this idea, will, you know, will I live another 24 the, the idea that one of the reasons it's a good day is I woke up today and, you know, and I'm navigating another day because plenty of his, um, plenty of his people maybe didn't. Right. 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 Especially in that part of the world. And for many of us who have the luxury of uh, quibbling about where we're going to go for a summer vacation next year. Right. You know, this, this the assumed projection that we're going to be here. There's this longevity. You know, we, we plan. Here he is talking about immediately. Am I going to live another 24? Yeah. The time That's, horizon is entirely different. Entirely different. Yeah. Right. So I think what he's really stressing for me is this idea that although we inhabit the same planet, I think we still live in different worlds. The um, there's a line later in this that as a college professor, I suspect that you can appreciate, but it's it's the one that always makes me smile in this. And he talks about the Goodyear blimp, but it doesn't say Ice Cube's a pimp. He grammatically corrects it to say it read Ice Cube's a pimp. And um, it's always the one that cracks me up as I'm working through the cleverness of this, of the lyrics in this, right? And Ice Cube is a master of this, but um, as, as you work through the, even the grammar of it, where he's kind of toying with somebody who's really listening, right? Because they're here, they want to hear it said, right? But that's not what he... Well, going back to my mom and the chemistry issue, I think it's very precise. I, I think it's very much intentional yeah, and deliberate. Intentional. And, and we, we should assume so. Very right? intentional. We, we should, we should, I mean, just that like was not we, an accident. Just like Picasso, oh my God, look at the red car. And, you know, this is amazing, Diego Rivera, I'm sorry. Right? I mean, we should presume that he knew what he was doing. And I think by saying that the blimp read, it's a pimp, he's a pimp. First of all, two things. One is that pimp can also take on this larger colloquial idea of you're just badass. You're, you're just uh, doing you, you're successful. You're not necessarily uh, extorting and exploiting women, you know's bodies for, for money. Uh, obviously, that's the technical definition of a pimp. But because um, in many impoverished neighborhoods, there's just simply weren't that many role models or, you know, uh, images of successful people, Snoop Dogg will tell you that we looked up to the pimps. That's what he'll tell you. We mm-hmm. looked up to them. I mean, that, that was all we had. And so this larger idea, oh, you know, you're a pimp, you're a player, I, I think is like this larger idea of a compliment of you're doing well for yourself. Okay, now whether it's problematic, that's maybe another conversation. But for him to say that the blimp, the blimp says you're doing well for yourself, he I cleverly removes himself from that positionality of I'm actually exploiting other people, hmm. but someone else thinks that I'm doing well for myself. Yeah, right. I have value and and broadcast to get to the to the entire Los to Angeles metroplex with the uh, the Goodyear blimp. <laughs> yeah, the intentionality around around the lyrics um, strike me. The other piece though, that I want to peel that back a little and ask you. So when, when you don't have two nickels to rub together and you look up and you say, well, however this human got that success in this, in this small um, community, that person is successful. Um, it, it reminds me of um, say notorious BIG's uh, Juicy, the beginning of that cut where he's talking about um, you know, sort of where he came from and how he was out there. And, you know, it starts with him, you know, talking about, I'm just trying to feed my daughter. This, this idea about if you're, if you're not really paying attention, you think, well, why would you glorify a sex trafficker? It's like, but that's not what's happening, is it? And, and so I wonder if you might just dig in on that just a little bit further, because I, I think to an undiscerning ear, you might say, well, if you were glorifying a sex trafficker or a drug dealer, well, then this is clearly a, a, a something that's degrading the culture. But, 
but there's more to it. And I, I would wonder if you might just kind of peel that back a little more. Absolutely. Because we live in a capitalistic society, unfortunately, many people use money as a measuring stick. I mean, it's just the, the truth. I mean, why does Warren Buffett receive so much attention? Why does Bill Gates receive so much attention? Is it because people like his glasses and feel, you know, his hairstyle is really attractive? I Maybe. But, 100% it is. Oh, right, yeah. Maybe, maybe. Obvious. Right, yeah. I, I thought it had something to do with the money behind his name as well, right? Maybe and so I, I think it's a very basic equation in terms of in, in impoverished environments, well, you know, who has money? And um, unfortunately, um, you know, those who did have money were those who were able to uh, leverage other, you know, individuals, uh, perhaps uh, despair. And so, you know, pimps and, and drug dealers um, were those who appeared to have had money in terms of the, the clothes and the cars that they had. But when you talk about um, that, and again, uh, black people did not invent pimping and prostitution uh, and drug dealing in, in the hood. I, I just want to be clear about that, too. The so oldest that, that, profession on earth, right? Okay, so it's been, been around, but yes, it happens everywhere. Well, I'm not excusing it. But um, when you take that, it really did happen in fact. I think what's happening when you look at um, you know, some of these stories glorifying uh, that appear to glorify drug dealers or this idea of, oh, you're a pimp. I think for me, the larger ethos is you're successful, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And just like we had talked earlier about, well, I didn't have to use my AK. Well, what, what other questions does that prompt? I think it's the, the same matter of when I read a, you know, a book by uh, the brilliant author, Richard Wright, you know, Native Son. Um, you know, when we look at like a bigger Thomas and the decisions that he made, is it a matter of he made poor choices or is it a matter of he had, well, excuse me, did it, was it a matter he made poor decisions or is it a matter he had poor choices to begin with? And so when you look at this idea of I have limited choices, um, you know, and I'm just trying to figure out, remember, uh, you're not crying at night with me in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, you're, you're you know, safe in your home, in your neighborhood. I, I'm, I'm trying to survive. I'm, I'm in a desperate situation. It's bleak. My government's not helping, uh, you know, my local school system. I mean, there's, it doesn't appear, is there, is there any way out? I'm looking around. I'm trying to figure out, is there a ray of hope? Who, who's, doing, who's doing well for himself? Who's successful? I mean, it, naturally, I mean, you can see the logic behind what would be attracting it. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why I think many parents fret over, um, this idea of, uh, you know, their kids falling into gangs or what have you. But the idea is I felt rejected. I wanted to be with a group of people who would accept me, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that that's, was the initial pretext, right? And so that's why many parents want to make sure kids are involved and feel welcome so that they don't have to necessarily go that route. So I, I don't want to blame people um, for, you know, being in a situation that I, I can't speak to, right? And so um, when you look at this larger idea of, well, who's doing well for themselves, I think that's the, the piece and um, that, I, that I would just, you know, counsel people to also consider. Mm -hmm. And then this idea of if the only people I can look up to, um, you know, uh, you know, within arm's reach, that is, uh, of course, maybe somebody on TV, but but within arm's reach, within the neighborhood is the local drug dealer or the local pimp. Then what does that say? Right. And and and, and also what does that say about um, the, the listeners potential role and connection to larger societal solutions that we could be discussing? Mm hmm. Yeah, a song of a song of protest in some ways um, around the broader um, the broader environment that they're in, maybe. Yes, I think it would be a little too simplistic to see it as pure glorification. Yes, there are songs that that do, um, you know, just like uh, you know, we have many Hollywood movies that are problematic as well. But uh, I, I think that uh, in this song with Ice Cube. Um, I think for him to deliberately remove himself as I am the pimp, mm. you know, and, you know, and check out, you know, this is my stable, you know, people who go out and bring me back money. But just this idea that somebody else saw value in him, mm. right? You know, you look up in the sky and see, because back in the day, the Goodyear Blimp used to fly over NFL games That's and it right. used to be this, this big deal, right? That's right. Um, not so much anymore. But um, uh, the idea that He's simply trying to inform people, just like Jay-Z did in his first verse, that I'm a human being on this planet, and even though I'm a black male in a forgotten neighborhood and you may forget about me, no, I exist, I value, and people see me. Mm -hmm. And then that's part of this idea of I'm human, mm -hmm. I exist. Mm -hmm. Dr. G, this is, uh, is such an interesting conversation. My suspicion is we could probably crush about three more hours in this same, uh, same way, but I know we're running short on time. 
tell me what if if our audience today is intrigued by this dialogue if they're interested in in um maybe maybe they just haven't really dug into hip-hop it hasn't caught their attention in the past etc um what would you leave our audience with as as we're thinking about this conversation first i would say that i don't think you've been listening to the, the right stuff right so there's a lot of really good hip-hop tracks out there that speak to some of the most prescient and poignant issues that we face with humanity, whether it be depression, grief, mm. loss, mm. aspiration, but it's a matter of knowing where to look or listen. I think it is difficult to find real hip hop on the radio nowadays because, I mean, think about the, the, the game with radio. Radio is in the business of attracting listeners so they can sell radio ads. So the model is already pushing a certain type of appetite. And so m many of the uh, the, the songs you hear on the, the radio are commercialized for that purpose. I mean, the, the songs are quite simplistic. They're, I mean, they're very, quite formulaic as far as with the hook and with the chorus. And, and, and they're usually built to be high energy, played in a large uh, environment with a lot of people, you mm. know, party music, so to speak, right? So a lot of the hip hop, not rap music, but a lot of hip hop that I'm talking about is a lot more introspective. Usually the beats um, aren't quite as syncopated. I mean, as you heard with the Ice Cube beat, I mean, one of the reasons why I think you were able to actually listen to it. You, I mean, there was space for you to actually um, absorb, you know, the words that he was saying in his message, right? And so um, I think it's just a matter of uh, people, uh, maybe they're, they, they, they think they're criticizing hip hop, but it's actually not hip hop they're criticizing, it's rap music. And so for those of us who are still curious, there's a lot of really good hip hop to listen to. And I think maybe uh, instead of me prescribing a list right now, it just starts with due diligence. Mm. I, I think that um, to the extent that you are curious, um, having a conversation with someone that you know, we all have a black friend in our life, uh, um, you know, an idea that you know, having that conversation of, well, what do you listen to? What is substantive? You know, what what possibly is different from the radio? That can actually lead to a whole host of different choices and options because um, they are out there. So ultimately, I would say that, um, no, it's, it's, it's not perfect. But at the same time, um, you know, um, it's made by humans. And many human beings have capacity to dream capacity to feel, capacity to think. And it's, it's no different with many of the hip hop artists who have uh, opened themselves up, made themselves vulnerable to um, lift their voices up and articulate some of the most intimate ideas and thoughts that um, you know we, we've heard. And I think it takes bravery to do that. And I think um, for those of us who are curious to support and listen, um, try it. You might like it because <laughs> hip hop has gotten a bad rap. Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr., we're uh, such a pleasure to, to get to chat with you. I'm grateful that you made time to come to our campus and visit with our students and lecture. Um, and thanks for coming and joining the CMU Now podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, until next time, this is the CMU Now podcast. Thank you for listening to the CMU Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.